0: So this morning, first of all, so grateful, so grateful to have you here, so grateful that God's made a place through the generosity of our our Jewish brothers and sisters, Rabbi Gross. Um, This is where we are. This is one of the benefits, drawbacks, the realities of walking through a book is that I probably wouldn't have picked this text to read and to preach on in the synagogue. Um, It's an intense word, but it's God's word. And so there's there's something for us here. It's perfect and it's good. I'm uh, going to mention the title because partly because we don't have any screens that I've titled this sermon in this series through the book of Acts. Um, God hates hypocrisy. God hates hypocrisy. Um, it's it's not too hard to see why. Now we're going to dig into why it's such a drastic measure. It's very intense, but. We hate hypocrisy. We who are evil, we who are imperfect and full of sin, we don't like it. Uh, We don't want it in us, even though all of us have it to a certain measure. Some of us are full of it, literally. uh, I've been I've been called full of it many times in my life. Um, We we don't like we hate hypocrisy in other people, even if we don't know the Lord at all. We, uh, we just react there's so, we know down in our bones there's something wrong with seeming to be one way and really being another we know that it's not good uh, we don't want it in ourselves We know to the degree that we know that it's there it sickens us God is perfect He is fully good and fully true He is truth Jesus said I am the truth he, and therefore because He's good not evil He hates hypocrisy because hypocrisy destroys us and it destroys his body. It's because he's loving and good that he hates it. F.F. Bruce, a great New Testament commentator, says in his commentary on Acts, he says, at this stage, Peter, I mean, Peter seems like a hard dude right here, doesn't he? Like a gangster. He says, at this stage, Peter had not had much experience in pastoral ministry. Otherwise, he would probably have broken the news of Ananias' death to Sapphira, his wife, before he questioned her and the result might have been happier. It seems like kind of like Peter sets her up. Did you sell it for this much? Yes, and you're done. Instead of saying, hey, your husband lied about this, what do you have to say for yourself? That's kind of the first impression you get. I don't don't necessarily agree with Bruce here. He's great on so many things, but I don't think it's because of Peter's lack of experience. What's happening, Peter isn't the one who kills Ananias and Sapphira. Let's be clear, God does. Peter isn't the one that they're primarily lying to. They're lying to God. Peter makes this clear a number of times in this text. When we present ourselves as one way and are really another, especially within the church as the body of Christ, we are not lying primarily to each other. We're lying to God. And he takes it just as seriously now as he did then because God doesn't change. So one of the questions is, why doesn't he keep doing that same thing today? Okay, And we'll maybe touch on that. At first blush, it seems like overkill. And I choose that word on purpose. For something that's not that serious. Okay, what's not, what seems not that serious? They sold a piece of land and they gave some of the money to the church. But on further inspection, we see that it's infectious and it's insidious. Bruce again, as I just said, he says, this was a lie told to God, something prompted by none other than the great adversary of God, And humanity. So, first of all, in verse three, we see Satan himself is the one that puts this in their hearts. Satan is behind this. Why has Satan filled your heart? And when we think about it that way, and we think about the fact that it's a lie, what does that take you back to? If you go backwards in your Bible, where does this, where is it? What what is this an echo of? Mm -hmm. It's an echo of what happened. The tragedy that we are all affected and infected by that literally rocked the world and cracked God's creation. Um, Satan, doing the same thing, lying to our first parents to pervert God's word and to make God look bad, and it, it wreaks so much devastation. So one of the things I think that we're seeing here, why such a drastic reaction? We're seeing that the effects of the curse, the lie goes to the heart of the effect of the curse. Um, We tell our children, uh, nothing is worse than lying. When, when, When we catch our children lying, it's the worst punishment we can give them in love because we tell them it will burn your life down and the lives of those around you down. It will put you in prison and you will die. It will kill you. And that seems really intense until you realize what lying is. It's, it's, it's contrary to the character and the heart of God because God is truth. God is truth. And hypocrisy is, is a lie. Um, the issue here is not stinginess. It's not that they gave some of the money from the property, but not all of the money. That's not the issue. It's lying. Peter says that over and over again. It's pretending to be something you're not. And why is this so dangerous? We're going to dig into that some. It's dangerous in part because we, we can fool others into thinking we're one way when we're not, and we can also fool ourselves. We can hurt others in the body of Christ, especially in those around us, and we can hurt God's reputation. If someone thinks I'm a believer and I carry the image of Christ in me, and I'm lying about what's really going on, that reflects on God, and God is the truth. Um, for this reason and other reasons, Jesus rails against hypocrisy unlike anything else. He rails against it. Pride and hypocrisy. And the two are linked. I'm just going to read you a block of quotes from Jesus from the Gospels. So bear with me here to make my point. Matthew 7, he says this. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What's happening here? They're presenting themselves as nice as one thing, but inside, really, there's something completely different. This is a mark of a false prophet. He says, watch out for him. He says, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. He goes on to say this, not everyone who says to me, this is a terrifying This is a terrifying passage. Let it sink into your ears. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I Never Knew You is terrifying. It recalls a psalm that in the men's retreat we started with um, this weekend, Psalm 1. And Psalm 1, which is the, it's the doorway into the prayer and the songbook of God's people, it ends this way. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Those who put on a, put on a front as if I'm this way, but really I'm a different way um, on the inside and by my fruit, um, God doesn't know them. God doesn't know them, but He knows the way of the righteous. There's no relationship there. Um, There are two images that the psalmist gives in Psalm 1. The one of the righteous is of a tree. The one who is freed by the love of God in Jesus Christ to present himself as he truly is, anchored in Christ, talking freely about sins and missteps, and saying, these things don't identify me, but I struggle with these things, or here's truly what's happening, here's truly what I'm, what I'm about. Um, that person is real, like a tree. Heavy, substantial, made more and more real by the love of God. But the wicked man is compared to what in Psalm 1? Anyone know? Chaff. Chaff is just the most insubstantial part of wheat. It's this part, there's no nutritious value to it, and with the slight of gust of wind, with the slightest gust of wind as opposed to a a tree that can withstand wind if it's rooted, with the slightest gust of wind um, or pressure from the living God, it blows away. There's no weight to it. There's no reality. And so what does hypocrisy do? It hollows us out. It makes us unreal. It makes us unlike God. Jesus goes on in Matthew 23. He says, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all these deeds, here, here it is in a nutshell, they do all these deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. They want to appear a certain way. They want to appear favored and righteous. And greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. The the essence of all this is that they do, hypocrites do their deeds to be seen by others in a good light. Again, Jesus goes on. He says, woe to you. In other words, you are cursed. You don't want Jesus saying that to you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate. You do everything you do. How much does this describe our culture? You do everything you do for appearance to look a certain way to the world, to look perfect, to put on a good front. Jesus rails against this. He says, you outwardly appear beautiful, but within you're what? Full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So we're saying, I'm God's, I'm God's, but inwardly we're hateful, we're full of lust and perversion and anxiety, and it doesn't reflect well at all on the living God. We're telling the world we are his children and we're, act- and we're acting. So hypocrites means pretenders, actors, or dissemblers, which is a liar. This is what Ananias and Sapphira are guilty of. They do their deeds to be seen by others. This, um, I spent some time recently meditating on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5 through 7, which is where Jesus preaches to some people on a mount or on a hill for three chapters. (laughs) And uh, he, well, yeah, three chapters in our text. Didn't take very long. It was a short sermon, but power packed. In chapter 6 in particular, one thing I noticed is that in the middle of his sermon, he talks about giving, prayer, and fasting. Giving, prayer, and fasting. And he says the Pharisees give, and we, can, we tend to do this in our flesh. We do it this way. When we give, we give to be seen by others. When we pray, when the Pharisees pray, the Pharisees pray to be seen by others. They pray in the marketplace, they pray out loud, they pray looking up at heaven so that everyone can see that they're, they're pious. When, when the Pharisees fast, when we fast, we can fast so that everyone sees that we are miserable. What's the point? The point is, I, my religion is about other people thinking that I'm great. God hates this. The point is this. The point of all that is this that hit me. God doesn't care about any of that. What does he care about? our hearts. He says on quite the contrary. When you give, give in secret so your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. When you pray, go into a closet. Who's going to see you and hear you? No one but the one who counts, God. He will see you and he will hear you and he will answer. And at the same time he says, when you fast, look like you are the happiest person on the planet. Look like you just ate a steak dinner. Anoint your face, take a shower, put a smile on your face. In other words, because God sees. God sees in secret. He sees all the way down to the very core of our hearts. And that's, what, that's not a new teaching. The whole time Jesus is teaching, he's showing us the heart of the law, of the Hebrew Bible. And he's, he's taken us straight to the heart of what the Jews call the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, where, Jesus, where God says, I am the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And he goes on. The heart in the Hebrew mindset holds the entire person together. It is the core of your constitution. It's your affections, it's your will, it's your intelligence. God, this is what God cares about. This is what God cares about. Why is hypocrisy so dangerous? Kind of drilling a little bit more into that. It keeps us from God. God wants us with Him to know Him as we are and to be honest about our state. Why does it keep us from God? Because it makes us, it convinces us and those around us that we are doing okay. But the first step toward God is to drop the knee and go, I'm not okay. I need what you came to give me in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. You came to live a life that I should live before you and cannot. And you came to die the death in my place that I deserve on the cross. And hypocrisy keeps us from this. Hypocrisy keeps us from seeing our miserable state, how we truly are. And it convinces us that God cares about what other people see. And he doesn't. Thank God. There's an incident like this in the Old Testament. There's an incident that um, this is almost certainly, God is almost certainly bringing to mind um, through taking the life of Ananias and Sapphira. It's in Leviticus, the third book of the Bible, chapter 10. God has just given a ton of material on the tabernacle in the wilderness and how we are to approach Him. It has to be exactly according to His revelation through Moses to His people about according to His Word exactly. This is how you offer innocent sacrifice. This is how the sacrifice takes your place. This is how you come to Me. According to My Word. Not according to your ideas. According to My ideas. Trust Me. What do the two sons of Levi, the priest Nadab and Abihu, what do they do? They do it their way, the Frank Sinatra way. You know the Frank Sinatra way, right? He has that "I did it my way" song. They do it their way. They offer what's called unauthorized fire. They go and do what seems good to them, and they offer this unauthorized fire to God. And what happens to them? The fire comes out from the fire of God comes out and burns them to a crisp and kills them. God kills them, takes their lives because they are, they, are appro- they are trying to approach God as they see fit. And he's saying, you can't approach me in any old way. Just like you can't approach the sun casually in any old way. It will burn you up. Um, what is he saying? He's, saying? he's saying there, and he's saying here, the, the, I have given you a way of approach. I have given you a safe way of approach. It's according to My Word, just like it was in Leviticus. It's still according to My Word. And My Word made flesh is My Son, Jesus Christ. Believe on Him. Come to Me through Him. John 10, Jesus said, I am the door. No one comes to the Father but through Me. I am the way. I have come that you might have life. I have come arms outstretched on the cross that you might have open access to the Father and not be burned up. And here's the thing, be able to be honest. That's the thing, to be able to say, I'm a sinner, I, that's why you died in my place, because I am this way on the inside and for the first time in my life, I can be honest about that and be accepted because you were rejected for me. That's why God sent his Son, who is his word, who is the way to know him. And so this terrifying account strikes at the heart of what the gospel is. Um, And it's also a severe mercy. That's uh, that's a phrase that I believe C.S. Lewis coined in relationship with a guy named Sheldon Van Auken and his wife, Davey. And um, it is what it sounds like, which is that what is happening here is severe. I don't need to explain that. Two people dying because they gave some of the proceeds of a the land they sold but not all of it. That's severe. It's terrifying. It's not an easy thing to to think about, to accept. But it's a mercy because hypocrisy is a cancer and it and it militates against the gospel. The Gospel means that we have to be honest about our estate. And our estate is that we are desperately lost if we weren't. If there were any other way to come to God, He wouldn't have sent His Son to suffer as He did in our place. So cutting out the cancer and the fear going out throughout all the church and the church being sobered and going, Whoa! God is serious! He is serious about truth. He is serious about not appearances but about how we really are. And he is serious about the gospel allowing us to open up about what's on the inside and saying, Jesus Christ took care of that. I can come as I am and I need to and be honest about, uh, about how I am with the living God and with his body and with the world and to hang my hat on and my security on who, G- who I am in Christ and not who I'm trying to make myself out to be. This is the gospel. So it's a severe mercy. It's a cutting out of the cancer. It's probably a saving of many lives. And it's, and it's preserving the, um, the world's understanding of the holiness of God so that people might be saved. Because God cannot compromise on His holiness, which is why He sent His Son to die. It's that serious. There's no other way. Verse 11 says that great fear falls on the church and all who hear of it outside the church. I like F.F. Bruce's comment. I actually agree with him here. He says, the fear which fell on the whole community... Suggests that many a member of it had reason to tremble. So the whole community freaks. Their fear falls on them. Right? He said, "This is what it suggests that they had reason to tremble and think what there, but by the grace of God go I." That could have been me. If you read this and you're just pointing the finger, you're missing the point. This is terrifying because that could have been me. If God still did this today, many of us would be lying dead on the floor, being carried out. Right? Tim Keller tells a story, he's a pastor up in New York and a writer many of us are familiar with, and he tells a story just about the kingdom of God and about the gospel and how beautiful it is and how it humbles us, and he says it's like two guys that are thieves and they steal from a a compound and they're, they're being chased, and they jump the fence, and both of their shirts are grabbed, and one of them is pulled back down and goes to jail, and the other, one, shirts rip. the other one, his shirt rips, and he gets over the fence. And he goes on. The first one that goes to jail, his life's ruined. It sets him on a trajectory he never recovers from. The, the other one goes over the, gets over the fence, repents because, whoa, that was close, knows what happened to his friend, reforms his life, goes on to be a respectable citizen, has a great wife, kids, yada, yada, good money, all that. How absurd would it be for that man to come back in 30 years and to see the ruin that his friend has become and go, I'm so much better than you. The difference, my friends, what is the difference between them? His shirt ripped. In other words, it has nothing to do with him. For some reason, My shirt ripped, and that changed my life. The Gospel, how much more powerful is the Gospel? For some reason that is beyond anything to do with my own goodness. Quite the contrary. When we were still dead in our sins and trespasses, God chose to set His love upon us. My shirt ripped. I don't know why. It has nothing to do with my goodness, but He chose to set His love upon me. And Jesus Christ coming down for us, arms outstretched on the cross, is saying to every single person, come to me. I want to set my love upon you. But it has nothing to do with our own goodness. It should humble us. As this account should humble us and instill a holy fear in us. When we lie to each other, when we lie to the church, we're lying to God. Nothing has changed there. We are lying to God. That's one of the takeaways of this this message here. And God knows the truth. Let me just drill down for a few minutes and then close into um, some application here. With Ananias and Sapphira, the church is in danger of becoming about performance, show, facade, what seems instead of what is. And can I say that being here this morning through the kindness of our friends is a sort of, it's just like a, it's a kind of a simple reminder um, of... The fact that w- the church isn't about, we didn't get to, like, this isn't, there's no, they were unplugged. They're, we don't have kids. There wasn't any setup. There's no tear down. We're in a different place. But here is the church. Here is the people of God. Here are the people whose shirts ripped. Here we are. Um, here we are. Why? To put on a show? Here we are. Why? To set up and tear down? Here we are. Why? To have a good, great kids program? So I can give a great sermon? No. We're here. Because God has manifest His love to us in Christ and offers it through us to the world to meet with the living God through the person of Jesus Christ and and to exalt Jesus Christ and to glory in His gospel and to be humbled to the dirt by it and to be lifted to the stars by it and to be equipped and charged up by His Holy Spirit to God and to preach that to to a weary world. That's why we're here, to meet with God and to become like Him and to adore Him more. We're not, we're not here for any other reason. And being here this morning is kind of a reminder of that. It's not about seems. It's about, it's about is. Um, how much of what we do Sunday morning is an act? Uh, Pierre uh, and his wife, I can't remember her name, uh, I saw them in the parking lot of Whole Foods. They came and visited. They were, I think, no, they were at the first of the multi-faith talks at... Uh, at the Braisewood, at uh, Rabbi Morgan's um, synagogue. They weren't here, and they weren't at the third one. Um, and they come to worship with us once or twice. He's from Haiti and spent time up in New York. But they were telling me a story. I saw him this week in the Whole Foods parking lot, and they basically like had a prayer revival meeting over me in the parking lot. I later saw somebody, and he's like, man, I saw, I saw you getting prayed over at Whole Foods. And I was like, prayed over? I was working. I, I always just work at Whole Foods. like, oh, yeah. Pierre and his wife were praying, praying the fire down on me in the middle of the parking lot. So some person saw me. Uh, getting prayed over, which is great. But they said, they went on about how they visited a lot of churches in Houston when they came down from New York. They're kind of like itinerant preachers and pastors and itinerant encouragers in the church. And they said, man, we've wept in many a parking lot after the church services because so much of it is just an act, a charade. It's just a show. Um, a more important question, though, is not are we, are we performing on Sundays, but are we performing Monday through Saturday? Because we are the church. We are God's people. We are his temple, right? Which is sort of what I'm going to close with. Um, is the way that we live an act? Is it, is it a facade? Is it a front? Um, we are the church, the temple of the living God, and we carry his holy presence and person in us. This is a life and death reality. Is the way that we carry on, the way that we speak and act, are we trifling? Are we acting? Do we understand who we're dealing with, that God has called us to be holy? There's another episode in the Old Testament that this is almost certainly recalling, and it's the episode where Israel has just come in to the promised land. After 400 years in Egypt and 40 years in the wilderness, he's brought his people across the Jordan into Jericho And they've been victorious there because God has brought the walls down. And they go on to fight. I think it might be at AI. And God says, don't take a single thing. Destroy it all as a sacrifice to me. But what happens? Achan. Achan takes a gold bar and he hides it. And God knows. God sees. And what happens? The whole body suffers and hundreds die in war because of this one man's sin. One of the things that this is telling us and reminding us of is that everyone suffers when there's hypocrisy in the church. It's not just, it's not just you. We are organically connected, right? What is, this, what is this story about Ananias and Sapphira? What is it right up against? Nathaniel didn't start with two, two people dying because of their duplicity. He started with these acts of generosity. He started with the act of Barnabas selling a piece of land and giving all the proceeds. And then by contrast, they come and they sell their land, but they lie about how much they're giving. They could have Peter says you could have kept the whole thing for yourself. You never had to sell it in the first place. And when you did sell it, you could have given any part of it. A $1, dollar? A hundred dollars? Just tell us the truth. That's what God cares about. I didn't care about how much you give in this case. Be honest about it. But what is the why what what explains the generosity of the early church? Is it because they had bigger hearts than we do? The Holy Spirit, and their understanding what is true about us. They're actually believing what is true about us, which is that they were made a family through what Christ had done. He had paid for their sins, risen from the grave, and started something new. They were made a family, and it's not hard to sacrifice for family. Right? They were made a body, And it's not hard for the arm to take care of a gash in the leg. The the arm isn't like, man, what a sacrifice. When the arm takes care of a gash in the leg, he does that because he knows he's connected and it, it affects the whole body. The arm is affected when the leg is hurting. That's what Christ has brought us into. So there ought not to be poor among us. We ought to provide for each other's needs because of who we are in Jesus Christ, because of what he's brought us into. We are alive because he's alive. Our sins are done away with because He crucified them on the cross. And He invites anyone who will believe on Him to come into that. Anyone. Regardless of their past. Right? Um, We, of all people, should be truth-tellers because we can be. We have nothing to hide. He was exposed on the cross and shamed so that we could be covered. This doesn't mean that we cover up. It means we can be open. It means we can open up. He became what He was not sin, so that we could become what he was and is, righteous, right? And so because that's our identity, we can talk about, we can be honest about, here's what I'm struggling with. We can do that in community. We can do that with people we don't even know. Oh, don't be freaky about it. We know who we are. Our, our, our behavior doesn't identify us, right? His person does, his act, his character we can do that in our parish families. We can do that here. We can do that in our anchor groups. We can do that as we disciple. Um, I'll finish with this. There are two. There are two results that we look at in the last verse, verse eleven. Two consequences. Um, two ways that people. That two things people do. The first is that people fear the church. They look at the church and they go, "Whoa, we're not sure if we want to be a part of that because this is serious." Can I ask you this? Does that happen today? Quite the contrary. People laugh at the church. God, my prayer, not that is that people would die. My prayer is not that we would drop dead out of hypocrisy, but that God would so arrest us by the truth of the fact that he has not changed and he's called us to be a holy people because of Jesus Christ, because he cares about our hearts, that there would be a fear on people. And they would go, God, something is happening. God is among them. And they would, they would consider the cost. And the second thing that happens is that it says that everyone held the church in high esteem. Let me ask you this. Does that happen today? No, not again, quite the contrary. This is what God has called us to. This is what he's made the church for. Um, Wouldn't that be wonderful? Would you do it here? And would you do it now? Lord, Lord God, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this hard word. I thank you for this good word. I thank You for Your Holy Spirit. I thank You that when we speak and act, we speak and act in Your presence that You're actually with us and You actually care about every word and every single thing that's in our hearts. I thank You that we are identified by Jesus Christ the righteous and not by our own sins and foibles. He has nailed them to the cross. He has made us clean. Would You save us? Would you save through us? Would you purify your bride? Would you eliminate hypocrisy? Make us an honest people. In Jesus' name, amen.